Welcome to the Three Martini Lunch. Grab a stool next to Greg Corumbus of Radio America and Jim Garrity of National Review. Three Martinis coming up. We're glad you're here for the Wednesday edition of the Three Martini Lunch. Your stool awaits. Sadly, we have no good martinis. We have three bad martinis and a little bit of craziness to start off the day. The only sliver of good news is that we're sponsored today by a brand new sponsor, Freshly. Freshly offering our listeners $40 off their first two orders at freshly.com slash martini. Much more on that a little bit later in the podcast. Jim, our, our wee bit of craziness, although it's kind of maddening now, what are we, about two and a half months into lockdowns and social distancing and masks? Well, maybe not two and a half months of masks, but it's it's been going on for a while now. And uh we had these guidelines all from the start, you know, stay six feet away, uh, be careful with surfaces, make sure you wipe everything down. And then a few days ago, the CDC says, you know, I think for the most part that uh, it's really just transmitted from person to person, you know, be careful a little bit what you do with the surfaces, but I really don't think that's a, as much of a threat. Now today, the Centers for Disease Control and Prevention, this is Fox News, edited information posted to its website last week on the transmission of the coronavirus from contaminated surfaces after the health agency deemed it confusing. Quote, after media reports appeared that suggested a change in CDC's view on transmissibility, it became clear that these edits were confusing, a press release uh, reads. In its statement, the CDC said that it is possible to contract COVID-19 from touching a surface or object that has the virus on it and then touching your face, adding, quote, the primary and most important mode of transmission for COVID-19 is through close contact from person to person. Jim, we've been at this now for about 75 days by my count. Certain things should be pretty well established at this point. And right now, the CDC, which has already not covered itself in glory through the testing approach, uh, doesn't even seem to have some of the basic facts clear at this point. Yeah, I, I kind of wonder if there's, are there two offices within the CDC who have two differing assessments and that this is what's these, you know, we're seeing some sort of the reflection of some sort of behind the scenes power struggle or something. Um, I, I'm glad they recognize that when a message can be confusing. Uh, we've seen this on a variety of fronts on, on the recommendation about masks, uh, things like that. And, and, you know, the initial assessments of, of, you know, back in January, people saying, ah, oh, this isn't a serious threat for America. You're, you know, the flu is more dangerous, all kinds of assessments like that, that, you know, now uh, do not appear to be accurate in light of what we've seen with this pandemic. And I realize this is a, this is a novel virus. It's called a novel because it's new, not because everybody's supposed to be writing a novel uh, while they're stuck inside. And we're, you know, so I get that they have to adjust what they say. But if you're flipping back and forth within a couple of days, something went terribly wrong. Now, some of this is on the media, which might be uh, over uh, drawing, you know, broader conclusions from their assessments than are warranted. I don't think any media went out and said, hey, it's perfectly safe. Start touching the subway poles in New York City. Uh, handrails and elevator buttons. Don't worry. There's no risk from them anymore. Uh, you know, maybe that's the problem what prompted them to do this. But boy, oh boy, going back and forth like this in a couple of days is not going to be good for having an informed and uh, uh, wise and public making good judgment uh, in all of their little everyday interactions. All right. Well, let's get to the bad martinis, Jim. <laughs> yeah, that, was, that? that wasn't even the bad one, folks. That was, <laughs> that was just the teaser. That was the all mildly right. frustrating one. Oh, man. All right. Well, let's get to uh, President Trump and his fight with Twitter. We talked about President Trump's Twitter habits yesterday as it related to the Joe Scarborough story. Well, now President Trump is directly going after Twitter because yesterday he tweeted out, 
There is no way, zero, that mail-in ballots will be anything less than substantially fraudulent. Mailboxes will be robbed, ballots will be forged, and even illegally printed out and fraudulently signed. The governor of California is sending ballots to millions of people. Anyone living in the state, no matter who they are or how they got there, will get one. That will be followed up with professionals telling all of these people, many of whom have never even thought of voting before, how and for whom to vote. This will be a rigged election. No way. And Twitter has decided this is the tweet that they need to correct. So underneath each of those two tweets, there's an exclamation point in blue and then a link to, quote, get the facts about mail-in ballots. Well, that did not sit well with President Trump. He has uh, lashed out at Twitter. He has said that big action is coming without specifying what that is, although uh, he seems to have hinted that uh, some sort of regulation of tech or social media or something could be on the horizon. So, Jim, this is bad in a number of ways. First of all, free speech allows people to say things that aren't true, regardless of what you think about what President Trump has said. Uh, It's not illegal to say things that uh, aren't true on social media or anywhere else. And so then you've got uh, the idea of Twitter minders deciding what's legit and what's not. And as, as folks have pointed out, the head of site integrity at Twitter is not exactly impartial. He's got tweets all over the place calling Kellyanne Conway, uh, Joseph Goebbels, saying that uh, any state that voted for a racist tangerine is a flyover state for a reason, uh, and on and on and on. On the other side, of course, you don't want the government clamping down on social media or or free speech either. So this is a a, a war that has no winners, it seems. Yeah, this this is a domino of each... Uh, each falling domino has some sort of worse consequence to this. I think it's safe to say the Twitter decision, putting up this fact-checking you know, little uh, button underneath, stems in large part from the Trump's uh, tweets about Joe Scarborough and the intern who passed away uh, in his office many years ago. Uh, once once the, the widower came out and said, Twitter, please take these down. This is causing unnecessary pain for my family. This is beyond the pale. You know, the president can, you know, like... There's just no place for this on your platform. Twitter did not agree to do that, but their response was, we're very sorry about this, and we're going to, basically the the subtext was, we're going to do something. Well, here is something. And I think we have lots of reasons to look at this and say, "Eh, this is not going to go well, because you can fact check the president's statements. At some point, somebody's going to say, okay, well, Joe Biden said this, and it's not accurate. Why aren't you going to go fact check him? And we've seen Twitter be very arbitrary and very capricious in the way they treat offensive statements and false statements and when is somebody important enough to uh to say that is it when you how about when you say something that is disputed but not resolved you know um and yes the the tweets from yoel roth the person who's the head of site integrity at twitter really are not encouraging if you're a conservative it looks like okay this guy is a typical uh, left-wing guy who, who you know really cannot stand this administration and who's really interested and as well as Republican senators and, and folks on the right generally as it, very broadly there's no reason to feel good to have a faith that Twitter is going to be fair uh, impartial balanced uh, or, or you know uh, give anybody the benefit of the doubt on this um, now of course the president come out and then say you know well we're gonna we'll clamp down on you you know you try to censor me I'll censor you which is exactly what we want to get away from. If we don't like a private company that set up this platform and that you agree to use when you sign up for it, if we don't like them being arbitrary, we don't like the idea of the government coming in and saying, well, if you're, you know, we're going to uh, limit what you can say and things like that. It's a good way to kill Twitter. The only, the only upside for this is that Trump says he's going to do a lot of things and then he doesn't do them. So I, my suspicion is that you won't actually see 
any government clampdown on Twitter or Facebook or any other social media network or something like that. I think this is Trump blowing off steam. Again, I think this is an entirely foreseeable consequence of the president choosing to go off on this now multi-day tirade about Joe Scarborough and this intern who passed away. Um, it not only is false, I think I, there are people who hate Joe Scarborough who feel like this is out of line. There are people who support the president who cannot understand why he's getting obsessed with this. Things Vanity Fair said his friends are going to try to stage an intervention. Friend, president, friends of the president up in New York are going to try to stage an intervention. Yeah, I'm sure that'll do a lot of good. Um, but that's, you know, it, it was, you know, once he did this, once you stick your fork in the electrical socket over and over again, you know that at some point there's going to be some sort of response. You kind of wonder at some point, is, you know, could this lead to the end of Twitter? And maybe would that be a good thing for the country in the long run? Um, but it's, it's one of those things where Twitter is now, you know, after years of insisting they're not a media company, not only do they feel responsible for what's up on their platform, they feel responsible for what the president of the United States puts on their platform. Uh, one last point that I think is, I just wrote a corner post about that I think is worth keeping in mind here. Because a lot of folks who are, you know, uh, opponents of the president, or even some folks who aren't, you know, outspoken opponents of the president, are like, when Trump says something like that, Twitter should take it down. I can certainly understand why people feel this way. But I kind of would ask people, if you take down the worst tweets of the president quickly, before anybody can really see them, or after many people, can see, before many people can see them, who are you really helping there? Who benefits? I think if anything, it probably benefits the president. <laughs> that, you know, that we have folks who have preferred his policies and uh, but have not liked his personal style, not like these tirades that he goes on, have said he needs an editor. Well, in this situation, Twitter would be volunteering to play that editor and probably would be helping him in the long run, even if he found it frustrating that anybody was limiting what he was saying. Um, so I kind of want, that's one of the reasons I don't think it's a good idea to have to get Twitter in the business of saying, we're going to take down this statement by the president of the United States. But uh, there's really no reason to think either that the president will be reined in by this, that Twitter will be, you know, fact checking its tweets uh, fairly or impartially, nor is there any reason to think, you know, if, that if Trump had his way, he might very well bring in government regulation of this social media network. All right. Well, let's talk about Freshly because that's our happy news of the day. Not only are they a brand new sponsor, it's a fantastic product. Uh, you know, I was a single guy for a long time, got married in my early 30s. And so I know about pre-prepared meals, Jim. I spent a lot of time getting stuff out of the frozen uh, food section over the years. But uh, you know what? When I got this uh, box from Freshly, I could tell right away something was different. It's only three minutes to microwave, let it cool for a couple of minutes, and it's really good stuff. Uh, I got six meals. My wife and I uh, split them up, and uh, we loved all of them. I mean, it was uh, there was a chicken uh, dish with some butternut mac, mac and cheese with butternut squash, usually not a favorite of mine, but it was excellent. There was another meal where uh, it was chicken with what I thought was mashed potatoes. Turned out to be a cauliflower mash. And uh, for those who know me well, uh, they know that cauliflower and I do not get along. I could tell it wasn't mashed potatoes, but I actually ate all the cauliflower. It was that good. And, and then later on, there was a, a great chicken Livorno. Uh, there was a fantastic peppercorn steak with actually mashed potatoes. Uh, decent sized portions and uh, I think a pretty good deal as well. We got to try them for free, but this is uh, a product that I think uh, folks are going to really appreciate, particularly once we do get back to normal and you need good, healthy meals on the fly without a lot of prep time. So if you think that eating better means hours of recipe research, multiple trips to the grocery store, hours of monotonous meal prep, you don't need that anymore because you've got Freshly. At Freshly, they understand that food needs to be delicious, healthy, and simple. 
Because let's be honest here. If it's not easy, I'm not going to do it. If it doesn't taste good, I don't want to eat it. Look at me. With Freshly, you can avoid the grocery store and enjoy fully prepared dinners delivered fresh, not frozen, right to your door. Put your feet up and relax. Freshly's chefs and nutritionists do all the hard work. All you do is heat for three minutes and the dinner is done. Imagine better for you golden oven fried chicken, creamy springtime risotto, and fall apart tender beef brisket. And that's just a few of the more than 30 health conscious options to choose from. You know, it's a good product when we had the uh, conference call with the, the sponsor and they said, do you have any questions? And my only question was, can I get another box? Uh, because that, that's how much I enjoyed it. So join almost one and a half million satisfied customers and skip the shopping, prepping, cooking, and cleanup. Right now, Freshly is offering three martini lunch listeners $40 off their first two orders at freshly.com slash martini. That's freshly.com slash martini. All right, Jim, let's move to our second bad martini. And this one is just ugly on so many different levels. Uh, we take you to Minneapolis, Minnesota. The video went viral yesterday. It actually took place on Monday where a Minneapolis police officer has a knee on the neck of a man later identified as George Floyd. He's just off the curb next to the car. And at first he's moving and then he's not. And then people who are filming this on the sidewalk are screaming that he can't breathe, that I don't think he's conscious anymore. Do something, help the guy, take his pulse, make sure he's still okay. And for whatever reason, the cops, and I'm not saying this to be flippant, they're acting like pro wrestling referees, more upset about the people yelling than actually checking to see if the guy's still alive. He later died. And now the Minneapolis police chief has announced that the four police officers on scene there are now former employees Major protests last night, thousands of folks in the streets, uh, some rocks thrown at police cars and so forth. So this is going to create some tension for a very long time. Jim, I don't know what happened before the takedown there, but it, it certainly didn't warrant the fact that nobody cared that this guy was having the life squeezed out of him. So we're going to see what the responses here. I've heard some reports that the FBI may be taking a look at this. Uh, whatever it is, though, this did not need to happen. And so consequences must be coming. I think one of the things that is uh, especially tragic about seeing this is that the, the, the echoes of the uh, police killing of Eric Garner um, and the, you know, the way that I can't breathe, his dying words turned into sort of this rallying cry for protests and movements against police brutality. I also note this is in Minnesota, and you may remember that uh, uh, Philando Castile was you know, shot by police during a, when he was pulled over in St. Anthony, Minnesota. Um, you know, he was going to reach out that, uh, to show his license and registration for a firearm. The police claimed that they thought he was going for a gun. I think the, the streamed video of their exchange made it look like the cops went from uh, zero to shooting exceptionally fast. Uh, and also remember the Justine Diamond, uh, 2017. This was a 40-year-old Australian-American woman was killed by a member of the Minneapolis Police Department. She had called 911 to report the possible assault of a woman in an alley behind her house and straight out shot the person who called 911. In that case, it was not necessarily racially oriented, but it was a case of police using excessive force uh, recklessly and in a way that ended up in an innocent person being killed in a way that didn't really uh, seem to make sense to most observers after one. I don't know if this is, you know, look, you can find bad examples of this all across the country, but it seems particularly troubling that this is happening, uh, that you're seeing a repeated series of cases in Minnesota. And, you know, you kind of want, like, I, you wonder, I'm, I'm glad that all four police have been fired. That's a good first step. I think 
Uh, criminal charges are absolutely, you know, the sort of thing the FBI and other federal officials should be looking at. How many times does this have to happen? What is the culture within these police organizations where this kind of force uh, pressing down on someone's neck, which is where they'll, you know, like every, everything you need in life is in your neck, right? Your arteries bringing blood to your brain and to everything else, your windpipe, uh, your spinal column, everything important is there. So obviously on the one hand, yes, it's a very effective place to uh, disable someone. It's also a very place you're very likely to kill someone or do serious damage to them. So um, kind of horrifying. It feels like history is repeating itself. Hopefully this will bring some sort of lasting change to both the, uh, this particular police department and maybe a heightened awareness of the dangers here in other police departments. But uh, it feels like we're a long ways away from that, Greg. All right. Well, let's move on to our third bad martini now. And speaking of people filming each other, uh, let's go to the Central Park of New York City. Central Park Karen, as she's known. Her real name is Amy Cooper. Uh, she was in the park with her dog, which is a whole other issue for other people on social media, how she treated the dog. But Christian Cooper, the fact that both these people are named Cooper just makes this story even weirder. Yeah, but use the first names. <laughs> I think that's what most people have been forced to do. <laughs> so, so he's a, apparently a noted bird watcher uh, uh, in, in Central Park and in the New York City area. And so he starts filming her. We're not exactly sure why, but uh, the part uh, of his video that has gone onto social media uh, begins with her looking up and demanding that he stop filming her, and then it escalates from there. Take a listen. Would you please stop? Sir, I'm asking you to stop. Please don't come close to me. Sir, I'm asking you to stop recording me. Please don't come close to me. Please take your phone off. Please don't come close to me. I'm taking pictures of calling the cops. Please, please call the cops. Please call the cops. I'm going to tell them there's an African-American man threatening my life. Please tell them whatever you like. There is an African-American man. I am in Central Park. He is recording me and threatening myself and my dog. And my I'm sorry, I can't hear you either. I'm being threatened by a man into the ramble. Please send the cops immediately. So, Jim, uh, she flips out, wants him to stop filming. He doesn't stop filming. She calls the police, claims that uh, an African-American man is threatening her and her dog in uh, Central Park. Uh, she eventually loses the dog. She eventually loses her job. A lot of folks are, are calling her, as I said, Central Park Karen, that this is ridiculous and there needed to be consequences. You got other folks like uh, Robert George, generally leans to the right over there at the New York Daily News, saying neither person cover themselves in glory here. You wrote about this to some extent in the, in fact, most of the, the morning jolt today about how uh, people are turning to self-righteousness to medicate during this pandemic. And this might be exhibit one. Yeah. I mean, you know, there's, there's a lot to unpack here. And you could, you know, the, the racial aspect is a big aspect of it, but I don't think it's the only aspect of it. Um, Christian Cooper, the noted bird watcher, uh, I'll admit I'm not big on the New York City bird watching circuit. Um, <laughs> he is, you know, legally and technically in the right. She did have her dog off the leash. You, I think if someone says, hey, ma'am, you're supposed to have your dog on the leash, the right thing to do is put your dog on the leash, not turn it into a federal case and attempt to escalate it. But when she is refuses, he then, you know, like, if you're going to do what you want, I'm going to do what I want and you're not going to like it. Well, that, you know, that, that does sound a little bit threatening. And then he talks about, you know, dog treats he carries around just for such intransience. You know, I, th this is very, this is like almost mob bosses, right? There's like, what, what, why are you walking? Like if you, if, apparently this is a guy who, who does have a, a persistent problem with dogs in his bird watching areas. Um, so, you know, arguably, you can make the argument that, yes, he did threaten the dog, or certainly um, his behavior could be interpreted as threatening. 
that having been said, uh, her, you know, she's being recorded. She doesn't like being recorded. Okay, I get, you know, lots of people don't like being recorded, but he's not doing anything illegal in recording her. He has the right to turn on his phone. And while on camera, she calls up NYP, call, dials 911, and makes it sound like she is about to be attacked. It is a panicked freak. And the interesting thing is, you know, because he's recording it, we can see space between uh, the camera and her. He's got to be at least 10 feet away, maybe even more. And of course, the whole time, she's yanking around the dog in a way that does not look healthy for the dog. And it basically makes it look like she is filing if not an outright false police report, a severely exaggerated police report. Uh, now, by the way, police showed up. Neither one of them were still in the same location when they got there. It was interesting. I talked to some women who were, uh, you know, reacting to this, who said, there's a tone of voice that women can use that signifies intense, immediate danger. And that was very much in the tone of her voice while she's standing 10 to 15 feet away from this guy. And uh, it does not seem to be reasonable that he's chasing her or, or anything like that. And she says to him very explicitly, I'm going to tell them that an African-American man is threatening me. And there's an entire context to that of, and you know what the NYPD will do when they come here looking for an African-American man attacking a woman. One of the things that, that uh, Robert George put, that I think is a very good way of putting it, is that um, de Blasio had said he wants people to rat on their neighbors, you know, uh, you know, narc on them if they're violating social distancing rules, et cetera. And he pointed out that, you know, back after 9-11, we were told, if you see something, say something. Now, people who listen to our podcast for a long time remember our speculation about the Disney CTU. Yes. Uh, well, remember that a lot of times that slogan is, if you see something, say something, so that we in government can do nothing. Um, but, uh, you know, if you, but, but Robert A. George makes the observation, it's turned into, if you see anything, report anything. Um, and while that's maybe a, a slight exaggeration, you know, we do need to have some sort of perspective about what needs to be reported. And, you know, particularly when social distance, when, when the idea is that standing within like four feet of someone has now become some sort of problem. As I've been trying to make say since the beginning of this pandemic, folks, 911 is not for this, right? The cops don't want to get dragged into, officer, I swear that those two people were three feet apart just a moment ago, you know. We, we need to have perspective. We need to have understanding. Greg, I can't help but wonder, look, New York City has always attracted uh, its share of crazies. It's always, you know, cultivated this culture of, of you know, neuroses and tension and stress and, and this whole kind of New York attitude and in your face and all kind of stuff. But I wonder, Greg, if you have people indoors for the better part of three months, are incidents like this an almost inevitable consequence? That everybody's on edge. Everybody's looking for some sort of confrontation. Uh, that everybody is, is convinced that they are being uniquely wronged and that the authorities and the state need to intervene to save them from anybody who could be bothering them at any particular moment. Well, you might have a good point there because I think you probably saw the footage from, I think it was the Staten Island grocery store where mm. the people in masks shouted the person without the mask out of the store. That's not to say that, that if that was the rule the store was uh, urging that they probably shouldn't have worn one. But I mean, that type of behavior is, is also beyond the pale. Uh, but we know that New York has its share of crazies. In fact, sometimes they elect a mayor. So what are you going to do? <laughs> Wow, Jim, that was a rough day, but uh, we got through it, and uh, it's not Wednesday tomorrow, although it will feel like it. Time has no meaning anymore, Greg. <laughs> see, you, see you tomorrow, or maybe yesterday.
Tim Garrity, National Review. I'm Greg Columbus, Radio America. Thanks for being with us today. Don't forget about our great new sponsor, Freshly. Right now, our listeners can get $40 off their first two orders at freshly.com slash martini. Please subscribe to the podcast. Leave us a kind review. Get us on those government surveillance devices. All you have to say is play Three Martini Lunch podcast and join us again on Thursday for the Three Martini Lunch.